Welcome to episode 57 of Land the Plane Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Land the Plane Podcast. My name is Dustin. I'm Jonathan. And we are back at the long desk of podcasting. I don't know. We need a name for it. If we keep saying this. I keep bringing it up. We never have a name. We should name it Bob. Bob? In honor of our guest, Bobby. Mm. He, likes, he likes it. He obviously likes it. He hits it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does. I'm glad he's not here listening right now to hear us writing him out. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bobby's back tonight. Say hi, Bobby. Come on in. Hi, Bobby. <laughs> wow. Yes, he is a father. <laughs> He's yeah, just jumped, jokes. jumped right in on the dad, dad jokes. jokes. <laughs> so, before we get started, we're going to continue on our series of apologetics. Is it okay for me to let people know? I think it is. That cause... it's the last episode. Oh no. Of the okay. Well, I didn't say no. no. It's not the. <laughs> we got one more. Well, it's not the last episode. This Total. is, but we're kind of coming to the conclusion of the series. Yeah, next week we're going to have a, or in a couple of weeks we're going to have. It's the wrap it up. Yes, show. yes. Going to wrap it up, put a pretty little bow on it. Let's say this. Let's say yeah. after when we're when we land the plane tonight, we'll give you a little tease. Yeah, I what's coming? Yeah, all right, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. So you guys stay all one. the way through. It's a, we're fast forward right now. It's a, <laughs> it's a really good one. Yes, and we are excited. It, if it doesn't happen, then we're never teasing anything no, again. No, we might retire. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> we might just completely retire. I just close the pot bean account. <laughs> Before we get started, I just wanted to jump right into it tonight because it's an important topic. But Jonathan feels the need to make fun of me. Y'all. Yes, I do. And you know, people like Albert Einstein. Every other genius that's ever lived, they probably were made fun of, too, at one time for their brilliant ideas. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're known throughout history and cherished by many for bringing such positive You're really milking things. this. <laughs> <laughs> so. Just go on. Go on. You got to tell them. I don't I drink mean, coffee. Yeah. Right. I'm not he a fan. Not, he does not partake in the bean juice. I do not. And, you know, I think if I did drink coffee, I'd just, you know, I wouldn't feel it 75% creamer. I'd, just be, so I'd y'all man know, up about it. Just so y'all know, Bobby and I just took a drink of coffee. Yeah. Just now. Yeah. I'm over here, man, the show, where they're just sipping on coffee. But one time, we buy coffee creamer to make homemade ice cream. It's a great flavoring tool. You can go get whatever kind you want. We got a recipe. You mix it with regular milk, eggs, sugar, all that stuff. You can make some homemade ice cream. You can come up with all kinds of wonderful flavors because there's all kinds of wonderful coffee creamers. Well, one time we bought the Oreo one. Bobby, you with me here? Because <laughs> he hasn't heard the story, but I think he's going to be a man that appreciates it. So we bought some Oreo coffee creamer to make Oreo ice cream. And we did that, but it only takes half the bottle. So then... I could have saved the other half for more ice cream, but I was craving milk and cookies, and I poured some milk in a cup, and I didn't have any cookies. (laughs) I didn't have any cookies, so I went and I got the Oreo creamer, and I poured some of it into my milk, just like any coffee drinker would do, but instead I had milk. 
and I added the creamer. And let me tell you, boys, it was glorious. <laughs> if you haven't done it, go do that thing, man. It's so good. Bobby is shaking his head in disgust. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand what the big deal is. Think about it. There's caramel. You can put that in your milk. I mean, you can make chocolate milk, strawberry milk. I make caramel milk at home with the Hershey's caramel stuff. Not a sponsor. But I do that. And it's great. So why wouldn't you just naturally put a little? You don't put a lot. You just need a little flavoring. Yeah. Stir it up, just like you do your coffee. Take it, we got, I got fruity pebble. You should, you should warm up your your milk. Then you can have like warm milk and I mean, tuck yourself into bed. <laughs> if, you had, if you use like a certain flavor, maybe. <laughs> Irish cream. Yeah, you could make it. Nice starts going toward a hot toddy, doesn't it? <laughs> but like, you telling me the person who made fruity pebble coffee creamer was putting it in coffee? No. Yeah, that's that stuff was that designed be, to add to milk. Gross. That'd be gross. Now I do put I put creamer in my coffee. I enjoy. Yeah. It, but not fruity pebbles. That's weird. No, that'd be weird. But do that Oreo one. Put that in your milk, bro. Yeah. Y'all hear hey. me out there? If you never listen to anything I said. Which might be common. Listen to this one thing. Put your Oreo creamer After this, in some milk. They may not listen to anything else you have to say. No, dude. Oh, this but, is going to go nationwide right after this. Maybe worldwide. We're a worldwide podcast, Jonathan. We are. There's somebody on the other side of the yeah. world that's head to the store right after this. Stay and listen. Or listen while you go. Yeah. People heading on their way to work right now are going to buy Walmart and buying coffee creamer and milk. Well, there's people right now that they probably it. have both in their fridge. Just go. Yeah. Just go. Go do it. Hit pause. Okay. Go make your drink. Man, I'll Come I'll back. let you. I will I'll finish. If I think about it one day, I'll try it. Yeah. I'll try it. Don't just put like French vanilla in your milk. Ugh, I don't like French vanilla anymore. Do something with some pizzazz. <laughs> What's your favorite creamer? Italian sweet cream. Dude. It is Dude, the that would probably be bomb. Awesome. <laughs> Bobby, favorite creamer? Are you a creamer he's, guy? He's a he's it is sacrilegious to put creamer in coffee. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right, because you should put it in milk. <laughs> in fact, if they had creamer that was pure caffeine, I would add it to my coffee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> creamer have a dilutes taste? the caffeine. <laughs> you just have to drink more. <laughs> yeah. I do already. Yeah. If you can't tell. Which uh Bobby is now drinking his coffee out of a land the plane mug. Hey, it's advertising. It is, it is our, uh, it's not marketing, it's our gift to you for coming on the show. That's right, weeks and of preparation. And it's marketing. And my my addition to this intro conversation, I have always, my entire life, been against people predicting the return of Christ. But mm-hmm. the fact that you guys would start with that conversation I'm convinced we're in the end times. That's just it. It's over. Wow. Hey, so I think Jesus I just got. I think I back? just got called a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> if Jesus does come back tomorrow, it's because he wants some of this creamer and milk. So I'm telling you. Speaking of sacrilege. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, before this gets any worse, we no. should probably move no, on. No. no. This reason it's the one selfish thing Jesus ever did was keep pork from people. He said it was unclean, don't eat it, because he wanted all the bacon for himself. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> he finally gave it up. <laughs> we are thankful for the, the book of Acts, I think <laughs> chapter 6. Oh, Something I'm, like I'm that. Th- I, I couldn't tell you which chapter. I just know the sheet came down. Yeah. Had all kinds of unclean things on it. Peter freaked out. Great story. Yeah. 
One mm. is thankful he's forgiving. Yes. We're like, <laughs> okay. Let's get on to it. Let's do it. All right. This is our, our is this part six? This, this is, is part this six. This is part six, the seventh episode. We had to go to, and, and this is absolutely positively the most important subject we, we'll hit the whole time. Yeah. The rest of it is, is icing. This is the cream-filled cupcake. And really, the, the rest of it is, it's, it's just leading up to this. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you get all the, it's like building a house. Those are kind of all the foundational pieces. And then the big house that you put on top, that's what this is. This, this is the whole reason for the house. You know, we started out the entire conversation talking about building the bridge and, and the foundation. This, this is the entirety of what the Christian faith relies on. Uh, in fact, Paul said it, and, and nobody's said it better, but Paul said, if, if this topic tonight, if the resurrection is not true, we should need to go home. We need yeah. to quit. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what's, what's great about this. What's more fun about this than anything else is that the Christian faith is the only faith that absolutely relies on a historical provable fact for, for its beliefs and follows that up. And, and if you really study the Bible, you'll, you'll realize this. It, it over and over again challenges you. Test me. To see if I'm true, yeah. test me, and and it is the only religion anywhere that makes that claim, that makes that challenge, that says, "Check it, test it. I will show you evidence." And and that's what's so fun about this journey, and why I hope that what we've been doing will encourage more people to go on this journey and to see why they're why they engage in this in this faith in this relationship and the reality of it and and it's it's been so much fun i can't i can't describe to you what it's been for me because i've just been obsessed with this i spend i I was listening to a book by mike lacona and gary habermas on the way here on the resurrection downloaded three books yesterday on audible um again not a sponsor you got to get a sponsor if you want to name the studio. You got to get a sponsor. That's that's where it comes that's, from. That's how the studio. Gets there you made. go. It's up for bidding. Just reach out to landaplane today at gmail.com. Yes. Let us know you're interested. But um, tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk about who did Jesus say he was? What what claims did he make? Mm-hmm. And and did he follow up those claims by proving them and rising from the dead? Yeah. And and so we're gonna we're gonna present those arguments and and present because. Last, last time we met, we went through the validity of the Scriptures and, and the transmission of the Scriptures from the first century on and, and how we can trust those and, and how we know that we have, have representative copies of the Scriptures that date back really, really far and from different geographical areas so that we know that we have as, as close to the original manuscripts as you can possibly get. The autographs is what they're called. And, and today we're going to look at those autographs and, and the words in them that Jesus said, what he called himself, and in his conduct, who he showed that he was. And, and that's where we're going with this. And that's what's fun about it. So the first part is, is going to be kind of short. And it's something basically that you've, you've heard in Sunday school and in church. If you've been in church your whole life was, who did Jesus claim he was? And, and in, in our culture, 
We want to look at the Bible and we want a statement where he says in English, I am God. We want that. Mm -hmm. But guess what? You won't find that in Scripture anywhere. You will not find Jesus saying, I am God. But we also, as we talked about with the Bible, you have to look at it as an ancient writing that was written 2,000 years ago and what those words that he said that are recorded would have meant to that culture. And he makes it very clear over and over again in those words, he was God. That's what he claimed. So uh, we're, we're going to look at some of that. And, and you've, you see in the book of John, you see the I am statements. I am the bread of life. Mm-hmm. I am the word. I am, and, and you see I and the Father are one. You see, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He talks about, and, and the thought process there is, is they are of the same essence. That is, that is how that, that could be translated. He uses the, his favorite term, for himself was son of man. Mm-hmm. And, and some people misinterpret that to him uh, using that to show his humanity. But it's actually not. The son of man reference is a reference to prophecy in the book of Daniel, where it refers to the son of man as being deity, as being the Messiah. And so Jesus referring to himself as the son of man harkens back to the book of Daniel. And is very clearly in that culture, him him being the Messiah. He refers to, in front of the Pharisees, he says, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, referring to himself. Mm-hmm. And, and the response of the church people of the time is, they're gathering up to stone him. Yeah. Why do you think they would stone him if he was not claiming to be God? Very clearly, their response to that was, you are speaking blasphemy. He is equating himself with the Father. Yeah, they, they definitely recognized it as. Yeah. yeah the, the religious leaders of that time and people re- but, recognized it as him claiming that. Exactly. That and, and many times, if you will gauge unbelievers, engage unbelievers, they will say, well, Jesus never called himself God. And, and yet, when you lo- actually look at the Scripture over and over and over again, even and, and some of the research I was doing, Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, when he refers to himself and saying, I will give, come to me, I will give you rest. That is a reference to the Old Testament where God gives you rest. He, he was, again, equating himself with Father. Mm-hmm. Then, then you go into some of his conduct. He healed the sick. Well, the apostles healed the sick. No, the apostles healed the sick in whose name? Jesus' name. They didn't do it of their own volition, of their own power. He, he raised the dead. He, he forgave sins. And again, that's a situation where he forgave sins in front of the Pharisees, and they were all up in arms, and, and he showed them with the healing that occurred in that context that he had the authority to forgive sins. And the Pharisees said it at the time, only God has the authority to forgive sins. Mm-hmm. So he showed a claim in that conduct and in those words of deity. So, Jonathan, you're awful quiet over there. I am. I was <clears throat> tracking down a little technical glitch. Oh, okay. <laughs> am I buzzing again something? I'm trying not no. to hit the table. <laughs> trying not to buzz too loudly. Now, um, 
you know, one thing that I just, that I thought of when you were talking about the different ways that, um, you know, Jesus didn't come out outright and say, I'm God. Um, but he also never denied it. He never denied that he was, even to Pilate who was about, you know, about to crucify him. Um, and he, but it, it's interesting how the different gospels and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are written primarily about his life on earth. That is the, that's the focus of them. And if you really look at them and what they wrote and how they wrote it, the perspective of, of that, you can kind of sum those up in, in how, and see how they looked at Jesus even a little bit differently. In Matthew, we see over and over and over again, he's referred to as the king. And and like his kingly, um, the fact that it's, I mean, the, the whole, um, his lineage is laid out there and it goes all to, you know, King David and that kind of thing. So it shows his royalty. Um, Mark really refers to him as a servant, which is totally opposite of a king. Um but in how he served others, how he how he treated others, and then Luke, who was a physician, wrote most. He was the one that had the most detail about his humanity; that he was a human. So, and then John um, flat out wrote like he's God, yeah. you know. And so it's in a in a way you can look at it as he is a king, he's a king, he is a servant, he is a human, and he is God, and that's the that's the four letters that were written about him from those closest to him. Yeah. Uh, so they, you know, obviously um, that's what they believed about him, you know? And it's, and it's really incredible if you, if you look and, and again, I want to make it really, really clear to everyone. Um, we, we don't read the words, I am God, but in the words that we read, it is very clear that in that cultural setting, he was claiming to be equal to and part of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He made that very clear, and that's why that that ends up being why he was killed. Mm-hmm. He he was he was saying things. Now, what's interesting about this, and and where I, w- I want people to really dig in a little bit, is we've had people throughout history. Claimed to be God. Mm-hmm. There were there were false messiahs throughout Jewish history. In fact, they're mentioned in the Bible. They're mentioned in histories. We've we've had contemporaries to us claim to be the the coming back of Jesus. Claim to be God. Claim to be some sort of messiah. And and yet there has been no individual person who claimed such that has affected our world in the way that this one did. The, the rest of them make those claims, but they die and their followers kind of fade away. Mm-hmm. You, you can't say the same thing about, about the Muslim faith because even the Muslim faith recognizes the special place of Jesus in history and religion. Mm-hmm. If, if you study the Quran, then, then you'll recognize that, that they claim Jesus to be a prophet. They claim him to be virgin born. They claim him to be coming back. Um, listen, listen to a little bit. There's a, there's a young man that is now unfortunately passed from cancer, but his name was Nabil Qureshi. And, and he converted from, from Islam 
to Christianity. And, and he sets this forth very, very well. And I hope, I hope some people will go listen to some of his sermons and, and some of the things he talked, talks about because it is incredible when you get an understanding of how even the Muslim faith looks at Jesus, the effect of this individual on all peoples in the world. All of the peoples. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the reason for that effect is what we're going to talk about next. And and that's the idea of, did he, in fact, do what he said he would and come back to life after dying on the cross? Mm-hmm. And, and if he did so, it's something that we've got to take seriously in our lives because this is something special. This is something different. We don't see people come back from the dead. Mm-hmm. We, we see people be revived after short stints. But, but folks... The Journal of the American Medical Association did a study of the evidence of what happened to Jesus when he died. The best evidence we've got all together. And, and we, we've got to establish first, did Jesus die? Because the Muslims claim that Jesus didn't die. There are some people that claim that he didn't die, that he went into the tomb and somehow got better. Yeah, and three days with no food or water. No food or water after yeah, after being brutally beaten, and and moved moved a big old rock out of the way and walked Not, and, out and took care of two Roman guards. Exactly, he he was pretty amazing just at that. Yeah. But but those those types of theories fall by the wayside when you look at the evidence of what happened when the Romans crucified people, mm-hmm. and and the only thing in history we have of someone surviving crucifixion was the story Josephus, the, the first century Jewish historian told, of, of having found someone that with whom he was close, to three people that he knew being crucified. He immediately, not long after they were, they were on the cross, went to the Romans and, and was able to somehow secure their release. And with the best medical care that was available at the time, given immediately not long after they had undergone the, the beginning of it, two of them died and one of them survived. Mm-hmm. So, so the Romans were really, really, really good at killing people. Oh yeah, they. they I mean, they, they, this was the height of the Rome, Roman exactly. Empire. They yes, they knew how to brutally kill people. And mm-hmm. on on top of that, if you if you look at history. We have multiple, multiple sources, and guys, I don't even have to look in the Bible for the sources of Jesus having died. I can look at Jewish history in the Talmud. I can look at Roman history from Tacitus. I I have a whole, I I sent out some notes, I have a whole list of, of different people that show Josephus talks about the fact that Jesus died from crucifixion. Mm hmm. And so there was never a contemporary argument at any time for hundreds of years after his death that Jesus didn't exist, nor that he, di- that he did not die on the cross. Mm-hmm. No one argued that until the last couple of hundred years when people started trying to come up with excuses. Once we became enlightened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I heard a, uh, something I heard today that it... I recognize, I've, I've read it and recognized it as, well, there's proof he died, but I didn't think about how it would have affected first century people when they first read it. And uh, it's, it's in the Gospel of John when he says that the, they pierced his side exactly. with the spear and blood and water came out. 
And what and knew that, but what I didn't know was that for the first like five hundred years of the church or something, like people didn't they didn't like that being in there because they thought John was wrong. Right. You know? Or that they tried to explain it by, you know, saying that it would might have been the you know, if we're born of the spirit and of water and that, you know, maybe that was the water part and, or the Holy spirit and like all kinds of things trying to explain what John meant there by the, and that it was some, you know, it was more of a spiritual aspect than a physical one simply because they didn't understand our physical death the way we do now. And, and doctors can just, tell you right out oh that means he died of a you know and i can't remember the word but it was basically asphyxiation well and well the uh water would have gathered in the lungs yeah and so it's like a pulmonary uh infusion that kind of stuff and it and so they they ruptured that sack of water and i mean it's like yes absolutely that happens and and that's how the doctors with the american Journal of American Medicine mm-hmm. um, were able to come to that conclusion because at that point in history when that was written, and we have full confidence that that was written during the first century, as we talked about last episode, they had no idea what that meant. Yeah, That meant the man was dead. Yeah, Jesus died. And, and there's no one, again, no contemporary no one close to contemporary for hundreds of years even tried to claim that he didn't. Yeah. So, so we've established real simply here, Jesus claimed to be God. He lived. Mm-hmm. He died by crucifixion. Now we got to somehow prove he came okay, back to life. Let's, let's, just, let's just stop right there just for a minute. <laughs> and let's say that you have someone now that and and two he 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 did miracles even or, even his enemies least, claim he yeah, did miracles yes because even those who crucified him said the only way you can do these things is if you're you know the son of the devil kind of stuff yes and so, that's I mean, in that's in other writings outside the bible also yeah so i mean he obviously there was miraculous kind of supernatural things that were going on at least around him mm-hmm. um and he he claimed to be in many ways, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Son of God. Um, he definitely lived. He definitely died. And he claimed to be God. And I, I like how uh, one book puts it, is that you take those things together, just imagine it's somebody living today that is claiming to be God. He, <laughs> You know where I'm going. It's like you're either lying or you're a lunatic, mm-hmm. or you actually are. Yeah. You know, and the, the phrase is kind of liar, lunatic, or Lord. And if you look at the life of Christ and what Jesus said and what people said about him, like that's kind of your only options. Like he was just lying through his teeth, or he actually believed what he said, which means he's a lunatic, or he's actually who he says he is. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of your only kind of your only options there, especially when you're surrounded by, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people reading these things soon after. I mean, there were people who were living and had experienced these things, probably watched the man die 
you know, and what all of these kind of things when these gospels came out. Absolutely. You know, when they were written. And so you've got you got people around going, whoa, that's not true. Or, you know, I mean, if you don't have a, a lot of pushback on that, then obviously there's there's truth there. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of anyway, he's God. He was dead. <laughs> he was living. There we go. We're there. We're we're right on the precipice. But I think that what you're saying there, though, too, when people make the claims today that they're God, they don't have the the resume that Jesus had up until that point either. You know that of the miracles that he did perform, of of what those supernatural things that people saw, people don't yeah. have those backing up their words. You know, like like he did. Mm-hmm. Plus the fulfillment of all the old scriptures of where they said, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, and then, boom, it's happening right there in front of them. I mean, people that knew these scriptures are now seeing it come to life by a man who's claiming he's God, performing all the miracles, everything that comes along with it they've never seen before, and now he's dead. Mm-hmm. And it, One thing that I thought of just a minute ago, too, um, when you said that he, he never said that he was God, one interesting thing that he said, and this goes all the way back to... Um, the book of Exodus, uh, when Moses came upon the burning bush, um, and you know, he was like, all right, dear God, who do I tell them sent me? What did he say? I am, I am sent you. And which for us, that's like, okay, God, get some good English. What's, you know, <laughs> um, but in the, in the original language, it, it basically means I exist because I want to exist. Yeah. I exist on my own terms. And right before, like in the garden when the soldiers came, uh, and I can't remember which which gospel it's in, but basically when they said, you know, are you Jesus, blah, 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 he said, like, I am. and But the way that he said that was the same way that God said it in exactly. Exodus. And it even records that the people, like, fell back in fear. Because, and I don't know if it was a fear of, whoo, dude's about to get electrocuted, you know, for claiming he's God, or because they were like, okay, maybe this guy really is God, you know, because for him just to utter those words the way he did, and in our language, it doesn't, no, it doesn't, it, it, it do, it doesn't do it justice. Um, but I always thought that was a very, that was probably the closest he came to saying, I am God, just by saying, I am. And it's interesting that he proved it. Yeah. And I, I guess that gets into the next part, but there's not many people that can just decide not to be dead. And and it's <laughs> it's an incredible thing because, uh, again, what's important about this is we're going to look at this from a historical perspective. And and what can we trust? What can we glean from history? You you can't you can't prove scientifically any claim from history to a hundred percent it is absolutely impossible you can't prove scientifically that george washington was the first president of the united states you can't prove that all those documents aren't faked and all those books aren't just rigged Mm -hmm. now it would be a conspiracy along the lines of well i'm not going there (laughs) but You knew I'd throw something like that in somewhere. I couldn't help it. But but you cannot scientifically prove occurrences that can't be reproduced because the scientific method requires reproduction. So what do we use for history? 
we use the writings from from both sides of an issue if we have it and we look at those writings and we look at the historical facts and we look at the archaeology and we see if it proves out to to be a belief that is warranted that is a reasonable that is acceptable mm-hmm. and if it is more probable than not that the circumstances allow for this belief. And so the first thing we, we look at, we're, we're, I'm stealing from, from a guy named Gary Habermas, and, and he uses what he calls the minimal facts argument. And, and these are facts very simply that pretty much every scholar on either side of the issue would agree with. And, and they're pretty simple. Number one, the tomb was empty. Mm-hmm. Okay, the tomb was empty. How do we know the tomb was empty? Well, number one, uh, from a Christian perspective, well, the Bible says it. Okay, but but a, a skeptic out there is not gonna not gonna let us argue. Well, the Bible says it, so it must be so. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, do we have any writings out there that dispute that the tomb was empty? No, we don't. At at no time whatsoever, do we have. Um, as as much historical evidence as we can possibly come up with, that that there is conduct surrounding the empty tomb. Well, let's let's look at the reality of it. What what does the story tell us? How was the tomb found empty? Who found it first? The uh, went the, the ladies. Yeah, the yeah, ladies. ladies, two ladies yeah. Is there a problem with that somewhere? In the first century. You think? <laughs> It, it is amazing. Nobody cared what women said. <laughs> that is not the view of Land the Plane podcast or its hosts. If you disagree, email the first <laughs> what century was it? Well, you can email the first century Jews. You can email the first century Romans. You can send that to any of the above because that was the, the predominant feeling of the entirety of the culture. Um, in, in Josephus' writings, we, we see that Women, uh, their their testimony in court was just as valid, and and it's it's amazing. I was list, I told y'all I was listening to that book on the way here. This is specifically one thing they talked about: the the testimony of women was equal to that of a felon. <laughs> uh, uh, that's not very a, true. Not a fellow. Not a, a fellow. A felon. Okay, so picture yourself in court. And, and the only case to be made is from a bunch of criminals. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you get. And, and on the other side of this case are, are people of fairly good repute. You're not going to believe those people. Well, that, that was the idea uh, of, of women testifying, and it's over and over again. And in Roman culture, it was every bit as bad. So this is the predominant view of the entirety of the culture, all through the the. Middle and and Far East and the Western side also was that women's testimony. So if you're going to write this story, if you're going to make this story up, you're not going to have women finding it and testifying to it to others. Mm-mm. It's it's just not going to come about that way. You're going to find the <clears throat> the most respected, highfalutin, you know, whatever powerful person, and and talk about them. Yes, you know. exactly. Now we we move beyond that. So there's there's your first clue, and and let me kind of put this together to you okay because i was i was reading another writing today um just for a little bit in the office and it was a guy trying to take apart the case for the resurrection because i like to i like to make sure i'm reading both sides of it and the way he tried to do it was take each little piece that we're going to talk about tonight 
and say, well, that piece isn't convincing. And, mm-hmm. and that piece isn't convincing. And that piece isn't convincing. But that's not the way a court case or an argument works. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to have one, more, more often than not, when I'm, when I'm in court, I'm not going to have one piece of evidence or one piece of testimony that proves the entirety of my case. It's a jigsaw puzzle. And, and I have to put each piece of that jigsaw puzzle together before that picture is a real picture. And, and that's what we're doing with this. When, when you put all these facts together that we're going to put out, does it, does it draw a picture that is realistic? Is it more probable than not that this is the truth? So... <clears throat> We have women finding the empty tomb. We have the fact that we have guards at the tomb. Mm-hmm. So it makes it less less probable that the body was stolen. Well, then we go into the body being stolen. That's the only argument we see from the Jewish side. Mm-hmm. The Jewish and they said that it was like during the gospel writing, they even said, and that story still floats around yeah. today. And, and the Jewish Talmud repeats that story. Mm-hmm. The Jewish Talmud is not a Christian writing. It's a Jewish writing. It is anti-Christian. It repeats the story of the, of the body being stolen, mm-hmm. which, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, is, is totally, completely improbable under all of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. The, body, the body just could not have been st- But we know. It's one, one writer that I, that I heard that I love this, this um, analogy said that the the body being stolen admits the tomb is empty, just like if I go to school and say the dog ate my homework is absolute proof that I don't have my homework. <laughs> now, it may not be proof that the dog ate it, but it's proof that I'm not, I don't have anything to turn in. Yeah. In the same way, the Jews did not have a body to turn in. They're acknowledging that the tomb was They're empty. They're acknowledging yeah. that the tomb was empty. Yeah. And, and we'll go a little bit further into that that argument of acknowledging the tomb was empty with the next one. Something happened to the apostles. Something incredible. They became superpowers. It's, it's like amazing, <laughs> the transformation. Yeah. I mean, think about it, guys. We have, we have the apostle Peter, whom, whom most people consider to be kind of a loudmouth, kind of impulsive, and and he denied Jesus three times, and and probably I I, I may mess up the story. Probably cussed out a little girl about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, he said he he cursed her. Yeah. yeah, and and then fifty days later, we we refer to the day of Pentecost. That's actually right at fifty days after the resurrection. He is standing and preaching about a risen Christ. Mm-hmm. Under threat of being beaten and thrown in jail or killed. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. All the apostles, except for John, John stayed through the, through the crucifixion there with Mary. All the other apostles ran and hid. Mm-hmm. They, they went back to their fishing. And yet something in that 50-day period changed to where these guys were bold, and were proclaiming in Jerusalem. That's important. Mm -hmm. 
It's extraordinarily important they were doing this in Jerusalem because if there was a body to be found, if there was something to disprove what they were saying, they could not have done this in Jerusalem. Yeah. Couldn't happen. And, and there are some people that, will, well, the body would have been too disfigured by that time. No, it wouldn't. This is, this is the Middle East. We have, we have papyrus manuscripts that have existed since the 3rd century, the 2nd century. Yeah, kind of dry. Yeah. A yeah. body is not going to deteriorate so bad that you can't see nail scars and, and scars on the brow and a piercing, pierce from a spear in the side. Yeah, and I'm, I'm betting, I mean, even if they did steal the body, they're not going to unwrap the body. No. And so it would have it would have preserved, yeah. you know, fairly well, uh, at least for that short of a time but period. It is it is absolutely incredible. So so when you start talking about the change in the apostles and, and how they were willing to face danger and, and willing to face, what did they have to gain from this? Oh, nothing. And I, just, I love that part of it because those... Those apostles, that you know, they didn't just come back and start business as normal. Like it's just like they didn't come back and just pick up where they left off. They came back and like brand new, changed. Yeah, lit the world on fire. Yeah, and the whole church founded upon their their starting their works. You know, as they got going and. You don't do that because somebody died. I no. mean, the one you looked yeah. up to, the one who was teaching you, doing all these things, and then they died, and and ultimately that would just you'd be done because this guy that, he and was that's God. what they did. Yeah, I mean, that God. is what they did. And After again, died, we see that over and over again fishing. in history. Yeah, yeah. You you see these messianic claims, and and the followers are devout. They're excited. They're fervent about their religion, about their faith, about their Messiah. And he dies, or he's def- debunked, and and they just fade away. Yeah. They just fade away. But for some reason, these people completely changed. Mm-hmm. And so and so, what the skeptic wants to say then is, well, they missed him so bad, and they wanted him so bad that they hallucinated about it. And and that's the next argument that you'll hear. But there's a little problem with that, because you see, we have we have two really famous people that are very well known in history that wouldn't have had any reason to hallucinate about Jesus being back to life. One is real simple: it's the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Okay, the the Apostle Paul didn't didn't just disbelieve in Christ and didn't just have no reason to believe that he hallucinated. A, an appearance of Christ, but he testified over and over again, all the way to his martyred death, the beheading of Paul in Rome in about 62 A.D. But but he had killed Christians. He had sought out a warrant to be capable of arresting and killing Christians from the Jewish leaders. He was feared. I mean, he was feared. Mm-hmm. He was powerful. He was intelligent. He was educated, and and yet somehow he turned around and became the most prolific writer in the history of the Bible. And he would have, he would have been there in the middle of Jerusalem when all of this happened, and and would have. I mean, doesn't doesn't ever say that he witnessed Christ's death. But sure, he would have been very close with the Pharisees. Gamaliel was the one who taught him, and Gamaliel is the one who was, he actually was the one that said, hey guys, if this guy is nothing, 
let him, let's just, you know, he'll go away. Something will happen. People will go away. Let's just leave it at that. Um, But anyway, Paul would have known all of these things. Hey, this is the story about what's happening. We're, you know, there's no body. We don't know. You know, he would have been kind of on the inside of a lot of that with the Pharisees because he was a Pharisee. Exactly. It's really the opposite of a rags to riches story. Because another thing about this whole thing is all the apostles, it's not like they were chasing fame, they were chasing wealth, they were chasing popularity. I mean, they were, by making this commitment moving forward, it was not a great outlook of what life was going to be like. No, no. And then Paul was like superstar. Yeah. In in the Jewish community, probably. Like, even Rex says it in the Bible sometimes. He's like, nobody did it better than I did. Yeah. And then he left that because of that transformation, because of that that moment with Jesus and we went just went as far as quality of life, maybe is the word of, <laughs> of like uh, having possessions and wealth and all those things. And he just went the complete opposite, but he's, he's not even my favorite. Okay. He's not my favorite argument against the hallucination. My favorite is James. Oh yeah. All right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know you got a brother. Oh yeah. And and unfortunately, my brothers. Do you have a brother? I do have a brother. Okay, we've we've my brothers passed away, but we've all three had brothers. What would it take for you to believe your brother's God? <laughs> <laughs> he might have to resurrect. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> you know, he I love the dude. He's a great guy. Jerry, love you. James <laughs> James did not believe. My brother he, doesn't even listen to the podcast. <laughs> he definitely ain't God. <laughs> he and he and I gonna have a talk. Mine does. Not that it'll Props help. Jerry. <laughs> but, but James did not believe in Jesus' messianic claims. And then something happened, and James, his brother, not only wrote a book of the Bible, but was willing also to go to his death at the hands of the chief priests and Pharisees, mm-hmm. proclaiming the deity of his brother. And uh, saying, a servant of Jesus. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love my brother, but mm-mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's incredible. But those are two people that would have had absolutely no reason to to believe in any way or, or to hallucinate in any way having seen Jesus rise from the dead. So, so it is hard to argue that the tomb was not empty. It's next to impossible to argue that the apostles and and followers, many of them, did not believe based on what we know from history. So so the next thing that I like to look at is is would there have been time for for myths or legends to have grown? Did this story about Jesus' divinity and his resurrection grow over time? Because we know that the first first books, we, we believe that the first book that was written of the New Testament was 1 Corinthians in around 52 to 55. Okay, so that's about 20 years after Jesus' death. So did the belief in his deity and his resurrection grow over that 20 years and there's a big problem with that again this is something that skeptics and christians both believe and so you out there if if you're sitting around and you have a bible close turn to first corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 and and there's a beautiful little section there that neatly enough if you read greek which i don't but if you read Greek, you can, you can read in 1 Corinthians there that there's a section in verses 3 and 4 that, that are not written in the way that Paul normally writes things. In the original Greek, okay? 
And, and what this says is, is it talks in terms of, Paul introduces it first by saying, what I learned from the beginning, I passed on to you at the very beginning. And then what follows is a creed that scholars, and again, this is skeptical and Christian scholars, believe that this creed had been learned by Paul within the first three to four to five years after the death of Jesus. And, and in this creed, Paul says, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was resurrected. He was seen by the twelve. He was seen by me later on, and he was seen by over 500 people at once, many of whom are still alive, some who have fallen asleep. And so we know from this creed, and it is so important to understand this, this creed was the original belief of the church that Jesus began. Mm-hmm. They relied on and believed and, and stated these words. This, this would have been something they memorized, much like we today memorize the Lord's Prayer. And, and we don't even have to think about it. We can, we can say the Lord's Prayer. Well, this creed was something that the church when all the people pretty much that had witnessed his death that would have seen him or could have testified against him not having risen from the dead, they were, they were spouting this as their teaching. This was, this was what they were learning in the 30s A.D. Mm-hmm. So there is no legendary development of the story. There is no mythological time. This was something that throughout the first century was being taught that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus resurrected. And there was enough people at that time it was being taught that this happened before. There was enough people that were alive during that time that were still alive at this moment that we could easily debunk it if it never exactly. happened. Exactly. And, and it wasn't. And, and probably in my mind, we, we have people today that, that want, to, want to compare the martyred the martyr deaths of the apostles and the early church fathers to, to like suicide bombers and people today. Okay? I, I will grant you that the people that, that die in terrorist attacks as suicide bombers and other things on behalf of their faith, they truly, truly, truly believe that, that what they believe is true. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have any question about that. I think if someone goes to their death in that way, they, they actually believe what they're saying. The difference in those people and these apostles, and, and more particularly Paul and James, is that they were witnesses. Mm-hmm. They would have absolutely known that they were dying for a lie. There would have been no question about it. Yeah. And and yet one of the things that, that I heard somebody was was quoting, um, I believe it was Irenaeus, which was right around the turn of the first to second century writing, he, he described the apostles with the words they despised death. And and the way despised is used in that in that time frame was not as we use the word despised today. It was used in terms of they didn't care. Mm-hmm. They really, truly didn't care if they died because they had seen an example of what happens next. Mm -hmm. They had physically seen and witnessed the truth. And, And if there is anyone that can come to me and show me a conspiracy 
to that level in the history of the world that that many people who were eyewitnesses would go to their death for without anyone debunking it within that time frame, I will have never heard of it. And mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can find one. Yeah, I mean, because even, even at the top level, I mean, President Nixon, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, the the Watergate scandal, all that kind of stuff. There was there was a whistleblower, right? You know, and that's I mean, we're talking about the president of the United States, and those people weren't you know? threatened with death. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, they maybe maybe money and that kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, it's interesting. Back to what Dustin had said a minute ago, I had never thought about this, but until Christ died, the the disciples could have could have been chasing that. I mean, part of the reason they were following him probably was, hey, this dude's going to be king. We're going to be his right-hand man. Yeah, you know? Well, we even have that um, story with, with the sons of thunder. Oh, yeah. Of coming and asking, which one, of you, which one of us considered your right hand? Yeah. Um, so they were looking, you know, I, I think part of their motivation could have been the the power that would come because they thought he was setting up a physical kingdom. Yes. And so what did they do when he died? Back to the fishing boats. You know, I mean, it didn't take long, you know, right back to the fishing boats that went. But then something happened. It, something had to happen. Yeah. You know, for them and, to and completely me, now change. Let me throw what this in. Saying. Something, something that we don't really understand today. The Jewish mindset at that time had no thought process of a resurrection of anyone until the end of time. That was not a Jewish teaching that someone would rise from the dead prior to the end of time. That was created entirely at this time. There, there is nothing equivalent to it in history. They, anyone that wants to claim that it was, it was stolen from any kind of mythical religion, they, they have the problem of these creeds, of this history of these deaths. It, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. One thing, too, you tell me about talking about like suicide bombers, those types of things, people that die for the religion. I agree with you. They probably do 100% believe that, what, the, what they're doing. They believe in what they're doing. But I, I think one huge difference is, is the... Uh, the apostles, they didn't take their own lives. No. They made a decision to live out the life that God had for them. And I think about Paul. when he, Dude's been stoned a couple of times. I don't think that was a fun time. Like, he came out like, throw another one, I dare you. <laughs> they, they went and they lived that life and then died when it was their time. They, but they lived the life worthy of the gospel, worthy of Jesus, however you want to call it. They lived the life and then... When their time was done, they were done. Yeah. Paul even was conflicted because there was times where he was like, it is better to go be with Jesus than it is here, but it's hard for me to leave here because not everybody knows about Jesus mm-hmm. yet. Because I'm not done. Yeah, and, and that conflict in him, that's not the kind of conflict you see in everybody that, that might die for their religion. It's A lot of people are like, I'm dying, and I'm going to take my own life because I want what's over there. You could argue that's a selfish motivation to why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Those guys, that wasn't a selfish motivation for what they were doing. No, it, really? was, a, it was out of a love for others. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to throw out one last thing in, in this because I think this is kind of cool. 
And, and I don't, no one has any proof that what I'm going to throw out right now has any connection to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But when, when, I, get, when I go somewhere like your family just did, Jonathan, and get ice cream, I love a cherry on top. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, this little story is, is a cherry on top. In, in 1878, in... It's right before you were born. Right before I was born, yeah. just like the year before. It was incredible. In 1878, in a little town called Nazareth. Y'all have heard of that one before? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's where Mary and Joseph were from to the uninitiated. Um, there, was, there was found this stone inscription. And, and it was an edict, a law, that was, that was put down by Caesar. And we're not sure exactly when to date it, although some experts would date it somewhere around like 35 to 44 A.D., which is right about the time period we're talking about. And for some strange reason, in Nazareth, we find an inscription of a law from Caesar that suddenly makes it a death penalty crime to steal a body from a grave. Isn't that neat? Isn't that incredible? Just, just to kind of put a cherry on top. Yeah. And you know, it's, that's kind of like those um, warnings on devices, you know, like not to be used for this or this or this. And the reason those warnings are there is because somebody did, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's... That's not the kind of law that you normally would hear about. No, it's it's not. But but that's found, and can can we prove it's connected? No. Is it really kind of wild and and fun to think about? Yeah. Can't prove it's not. <laughs> do do I believe that that we've proven and and we can see? And and folks, I'll tell you again. Um, you know, Jonathan and Dustin always point this out. I would love, absolutely love, to engage with anyone that wants to anytime, anywhere, and, and discuss this stuff more in depth with you and um, provide you with, with lists of, of people that really know what they're talking about, lectures, debates, books, things like that, that you can share and you can learn about um, how to share your faith. Because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Yeah. But the good news is what Paul said about, about if the resurrection is not a historical fact, our faith is in vain. Mm-hmm. Our faith's not in vain. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe we're on absolute good grounds to know that. And that's the fun of what we've been doing. I like it. Man. I don't think I was ready for that to be over. <laughs> kind of, kind of hit me out of nowhere. So I guess the plane's coming down. Huh? Plane's coming down. I got, um, and it, this kind of comes from something I actually heard today. But it, it, I love how all of this kind of it kind of wraps up in a way. We were talking before the show how um, this is kind of the, you know, we've been laying out some foundational kind of things, but foundational beliefs, and tonight is is kind of the reason for it all. I mean, the reason that, uh, that God created and there's order to the universe and all those kind of things, all of it culminates with him saving us, yeah. you know, him, him providing a way of salvation through Jesus. 
who came um, also unlike any other religion um, that that God came down to earth and joined us instead of try, us trying to get to him somehow. Um, but one one thing that I heard, you know, for for a lot of folks, um, you hear all of these things and, and, you know, well, how does the guy raise himself from the dead and all those kind of things and, and the miracles and it's, I just can't get past the supernatural kind of a thing, you know. And it's the supernatural. I just, then you know, it's not, I can't believe it because it's the supernatural aspect of it. it. You can't prove it, all those kind of things. But if we go all the way back to the beginning, and it was, I think, our, our second episode, even, even scientists go all the way back to the beginning. And we talked about how Einstein's theory of relativity and all those kind of things, it's the Big Bang or whatever, the beginning of time that they can look at um, is the beginning of time and space and matter. And for that to begin, something had to begin it outside of it. And the only thing that's, that's outside of those natural things is something supernatural. Yeah. You know, something outside of nature, outside of time, space, and matter. Because those three things, we, we talked about that episode too, um, is that's when that started. So something outside of that had to start. So the supernatural is what started it. And then we get all the way here to the end, and it's the supernatural that kind of that, that, that kind of finished it, you know, with, with raising Christ from the dead. And uh, it, it's just, I, I know that there, there's no way that we can... Um, and, and it's not our intent, honestly, to try to convince anyone that, you know, that all of this is true. What we are saying is this is, this is a, a logical approach to what we believe, that we're not just, um, you know, jumping into some faith that, that we can't stand on. That, you know, there's just no proof to any of it. There are proofs. But the the first, and I think the, I love the uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you know, and it one of the things talks about faith, and he has to take a leap of faith, um, and then he steps down, you know, there's a bridge, the whole thing. Um, Christianity can, kind of can seem like a leap of faith. Yeah. But there's so much support there to to hold on to. Um and there's, you know, many of us, we do question, we question, um, we question things when we look at the the world today. We question things when we have differences with other Christians. We, do, you know, we question why God would do the things that he does, and, and we can't understand those things. Um, so we do have to have faith, but it's not a a faith with no substance. It's not a faith that that's not based on anything. And I think the more that you look into the Bible and the more that I study, the more that I look, the more that I, you know, just discover and those kind of things, because I don't know the the whole Bible, goodness gracious. Um, There's just logical progressions there and it just all, it ties together and it makes sense. Um, And so I kind of, you know, for anybody out there that's like, eh, I just don't know about all this kind of stuff, I got a challenge for you. And if you need it, 
let us know and we'll get it to you. Read the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Just get it out and read it. And ask Jesus, the one that we're talking about that resurrected, he's still alive. Ask him to talk to you. Gospel of John. Just read it and yep. see and let Jesus speak for himself, you know, um, and, and just kind of kind of take your own leap of faith there and just see what Jesus has to say and see that J- the Gospel of John was written by John, who is um, on earth, probably Jesus's best friend. And so it's a it's a good look at how a person's best friend might view them and um and it's it's an eyewitness account of Jesus, and, and it, it records a lot of what Jesus said. So read the Gospel of John and, and just look for yourself and listen to what Jesus has to say to you. Okay, I'm going to land my plane real quick. <laughs> no, I just want to say, too, because I had a conversation. You know, I think about the end of the book of John where he says, we could probably keep writing stories about everything that's been done, but... There's probably not enough books in the world, you know, or whatever. And, you know, we could keep going. There's 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 more that, that could be shared. I mean, one thing that just sticks out to me is is the number of kingdoms that have come and fallen. Jesus's has not. You know, it's still there. People have made it use it for their own selfish games at times. It's got its highs and lows maybe throughout history of how people maybe used it or or different opportunities. But every other powerful kingdom has fallen. You know, and somebody asked me, I had a conversation, and they're not, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, it didn't matter. And they said, one of the reasons I've been liking these shows is because the why. Like, he wants to know why people believe what they believe from, from every aspect. Why would a Christian believe what they believe? Why would a Muslim believe what they believe? Why would an atheist not believe in anything? You know, like all those different categories. It's just that curiosity. And I can't help but think in this moment, um, to answer that question of why, why do we believe this? Um, I, I share at the very beginning of this, this type of study is a little different for me. I'm a very feelings, not, not feelings, but like I don't need a lot of evidence to prove God to me. He's worked in my life individually enough that even without this stuff, I'm good. You know, this stuff is just extra goodness. You know, it's like, it's like the double stuffed Oreo instead of just the regular Oreo, you know? And, but he asked me why, and I can't help but right this moment think about when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why. That's why we share this. Because mm-hmm. we we care enough and love people enough, because Jesus did, that we have a desire for people to know these truths, be able to, to look at things, make decisions, feel things out, Ask questions, go on self discoveries through this on your own. And we get told sometimes that we're trying to push our religion on people. It's not, it's all boiled down to Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He came and he did all this stuff we just talked about to have that way, that everlasting peace and relationship with him. And we care enough about you, and we love people enough because Jesus loved them first to make sure you know that. And then and it's up to you. What do you do with all this stuff? And I think this is what 
what uh, Bobby's been talking about, what uh, Jonathan was just talking about. What do you do now that you've been through this? Can I land my plane this time? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I just want to share where where this path has taken me. And, and just in, in a very short time, what I've learned, and, and I'm, I'm stealing a little bit with this from everybody that I've read and listened to, because they've been so helpful to me. I have learned and found a God that created the universe out of nothing. Absolutely nothing. And, and a few weeks ago, Jonathan and I had lunch together, and we talked about the word sovereign. And, and I think the word sovereign means that, that this God has the right and the ability and the authority to do and to judge and to be whatever he desires. He's God. That's the definition of it. And, and yet this God created a, a race of people that he gave free will to, to choose or not to choose to be a part of his life forever. And, and in knowing just how, he already knew because he exists outside of time, he already knew how bad we would screw that up. And, and knowing how much suffering and how much evil and how much pain that man could create, he made a plan where he would step into that time, into that history, and undergo more torture, more humiliation, because this is the God that created it, that condescended to become human. And, and he didn't choose to come and be born in a, in a palace. He probably was born in a cave. He wasn't born to anybody wealthy. He probably had to work and sweat and bleed. And, and even though this God could have changed all that at any time and forced us to follow Him and, and to worship Him and to bow down to Him, He never forced it. He, he was willing to die a brutal, gruesome death. And I think he died that death just to show us how much he loved us, how far he would go. And and then that God proved himself by rising from the dead and ascending back. And we have witnesses to that. But the cool thing, that's not the end of the story. Because I know myself pretty well, guys. and, And if there's anybody that didn't deserve it, I'm it. I got you there. And yet for some weird reason, he lets me come on with you guys and, and talk about him. And, and if we haven't done anything else, if I haven't accomplished anything else in this, I hope that you guys understand just how much God loves you. Mm-hmm. He is real and, and he went all the way to dying a humiliating, cursed death to prove how much he loves you. And, and I hope I don't ever get over it. I don't want to ever get over that. Mm-hmm. And, and so, dig in. 
and, and learn about him and relate to him and be part of his family. I got cousins that I don't talk about a whole lot because I don't spend a lot of time with them. But my family that I'm around every day and my kids that I love every much and that I check on and I keep up with, I talk about them all the time. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of family he wants to be, Dustin. Oh, yeah. And, and I want to be that kind of family for him. And, and I just want to say, I, I know I'm going to come back and help with, with what we're going to tease in a second. Mm-hmm. But I just want to say to you two guys, I, I'm so thankful and grateful for you giving me this opportunity to share. I really, really am. You, you don't know how much. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Well, and, and Bobby, we, we thank you for all the work and, and, and dedication you've had to it. And, yeah. and that's what you all need to understand out here. When, you, when you're recording a podcast, you don't know what's happening outside of this room. But to know that the, the passion and desire, Bobby, that you've put into this, because you care about people and you want them to know these things and you want them to be able to make decisions and you want them to be able to think for themselves. And I mean, it's an awesome Awesome thing that you're doing, and yep. we're, we're so grateful that you come on and do that with us. And we have the stacks of notes <laughs> yep. to prove it. Yep. And in saying that, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't don't have the ability to have conversations with people about this. So, again, we're just saying to you, we want to be there for you if you want to have conversations about this. Yep. Either which way, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn for anybody, that if you want to, if you want to engage in a conversation, I know it's not easy to do it on social media. It's probably hard to write it out in an email. If you just send us a message through our social media platforms, Twitter, Land the Plane 247, Facebook, Land the Plane Today, Instagram, Land the Plane Today, or shoot us an email at landtheplanetoday at gmail.com and give us your phone number and which one of us you want to call you. (laughs) We will be happy to call you and even have that conversation right there over the phone with you. We don't, I don't think any of us would mind Mm -mm. doing that at all. So we encourage you to do that. Don't, don't, if you just want somebody to talk to, maybe you don't have somebody around you, you can. Any of us will be happy to do that for you. And none Mm -hmm. of us will get our feelings hurt if you pick somebody besides us. Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I actually had a had a young man call me yesterday and ask him if I would if I would help walk him through some stuff. Um, we that's exciting. We would love to have that. Yeah, yeah. Give him your Twitter one more time, Bobby. Just so old bear forty five at old bear forty five. Some tells me your Twitter talks about some of this stuff sometimes. Uh, every once in a while, yeah. <laughs> I try to throw things out there. <laughs> so do that. But Jonathan, we've been going for a bit. I think you need to tease next week. Yeah, we can do it because we're, yes, we're way late on time. Uh, and actually, it was a um, it was an email from a listener that kind of got us started on this path. Uh, they were talking about how to start conversations, how to have conversations, when or whether even to have conversations with folks. And uh, we just kind of, we started talking about it amongst ourselves, and we kind of felt like we needed to add one more episode to this, which would be a... Uh, just kind of a tips and tactics way of um, just starting conversations and having and and th- hearing and kind of knowing how to handle conversations. Um, so we reached out to uh, a group called Stand to Reason. Um, been around for a while. Greg Kokel has been doing the apologetics thing for like decades yeah. uh, written several books. One of the books he's, he wrote was, is the book called tactics and it is all about um, kind of the debate aspect of apologetics and some kind of tips and tricks about that. So we re- reached out to them and uh, 
a a fellow from um, there. His name is Tim Barnett. He is going to be joining us uh, on the podcast that should be the next show that we release. And uh, just kind of talking to us about conversations, how to have conversations, some tactics. Um, and, and really, we want this one to be some just some encouragement to you um, to, to be able to step into conversations with folks without, you know, dreading them or feeling like you're, you're not prepared, those kind of things. Cause I know we have, we have talked about a lot of stuff. Okay. And, and what is out there, we have covered a, a, you know, a drop in the ocean compared to what, what's out there and what, what we could learn and those kind of things. Um, and we get that there, there's a lot of information here and we don't expect you to, to know all of the information, but there are some tactics and some ways that, that you can have conversations with people without having all the, without worrying about having all the answers. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of our next, um, our next episode. You might've heard of, uh, Tim's, uh, Facebook page. He's uh, red pen logic with Mr. B I think is his Facebook page. And uh, just share some really fun stuff. He, he um, I think he's a comedian at heart <laughs> because he, he goes about it um, kind of debunking some, some ideas in, uh, in, in a fun way. So anyway, we're looking forward to that. I uh, hope you tune in to, to that show to catch Tim and see what, what he's got to say. I can't wait. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. Looking forward to that. Well, I think that's the show then. Yeah. We've, uh, oh, I don't know. I almost feel weird wrapping it up just because it has been such a powerful and challenging series. And yep. you know, we got what's coming next. Um, we know it'll feel a little bit different and probably won't have as much just hanging out time like this, but we just uh, really appreciate all of our listeners for everybody that's been in there. Keep hanging in there and thank you for all your support on the show. Thank you again, Bobby, for joining us and, and doing so much work and preparation and just really just sharing why God's, put on your heart and what he's called you to do. So we're just so grateful for your willingness to do that. Yeah, but that is absolutely the show for tonight. And uh, All right. Let's hit the music, week. maestro. Let's do it. We'll see you guys. Thanks for listening. Wow, wow. <laughs> that was just hitting the music. That was you hitting the music? Yeah. Why don't I hit the music? You hit the music. Okay, I'll hit the music. Yeah.